do 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 all right so yeah my name is shannon dobbs and i am the president and co-founder of on common ground and this is yana lise mercado and she is working in unr as a journalism and mass communication student and she's our, our intern this semester and i think the spring semester too i will be yeah fantastic so what we're working on together is creating this podcast solution so that we can reach out into the into the larger community, into the global community, and start having a discussion about what it is that we're doing here in northern Nevada and how what we're doing can be translated and can be shared and and uh, uh, and implemented all over the world. Like the, the, there's a commonality of problems that we're dealing with. We're, we're all dealing with food scarcity and, and lack of resources and, you know, difficulty in being able to get education about, uh, about, about, um, uh, nutrition knowledge. And so this is something that we're trying to, to, to really just kind of create this podcast to be able to create this ongoing discussion that we can all share with each other. Definitely. Also, disclaimer, I'm pretty sick. Shannon's getting sick. So if you hear suddenly pauses, that's why. But, um, but yes, uh, pretty much uh, what we're trying to do is we want people to understand the, the idea of what food insecurity means and the whole uh, the whole idea of how um, how this could be fought and t- at tackling on the bigger companies. Am I mistaken? I don't really feel like we need to tackle any big companies. <laughs> we're we're really kind of doing our thing here. Um, you know what's what's really interesting is a we lot. We just want to share stories. Yeah, we want to share stories. You know, a lot of the, the you know it, it's not necessarily an us versus them type of model because you know what we're doing is is creating logistic solutions for food in low-income areas and the big companies you know if you look across the united states uh, if you look in communities all across the u.s the one thing that you will see that's a commonality is the big companies won't go into low-income areas Mm -hmm. largely you you just you don't see i mean you see like uh like a uh, like a drugstore you might see a drugstore in a low-income area because you've got shelf-stable products that last a long time and and you know you've got this model where they can they can kind of drip through their, their thing and they can go through their thing. But, but groceries is a different animal. You've got fresh food that goes bad. You, it relies on a model where a lot of people show up and a lot of people purchase food every single day. And in order to have that model be successful in a low-income area, you know, it requires that you have a different business model than, than what the majority of the companies that are working with right now use. So, I mean, we're not really fighting against big companies. And, and in matter of fact, we've got one of the biggest companies in, in the United States. Uh, U.S. Foods is our committed partner, and they are going to be our, our distributor as we open up our grocery store. And so that's a, that's a big company, mm-hmm. I mean, huge, massive company. And they do distributions for food for, uh, for retailers all across the U.S. And they're, you know, they've got a great existing logistics resource. And, and for us to try and reinvent the wheel when we've got this resource already in place, it doesn't make sense. So, you know, it, w- w- our focus is on getting the, the actual physical structure of the store going to get the uh, partnerships and to get the accounts open so that we have our distribution network set up. And then, and then just, just reach out to the community and say, hey, we've got, we've got food here. We've got nutritious food. We've got healthy food. We've got raw food that you may not be familiar with. Like there's one of the things that we're finding out is that a lot of people just don't understand what to do with dried beans. They don't understand what to do with dried rice. They don't understand what to do with raw flour and it's in, in its raw state. You know, people by and large are really focusing on, on pre-prepared options and on, on branded material and everything. And that's kind of the trend that the U.S. is going at because 
you know, I, and there's a lot of different reasons, but like one of the things that we're noticing is that home ec is no longer really taught in schools. No. You know, so you don't have a lot of the basic underpinnings that, I mean, I'm 47. I grew up with a lot of this stuff and I was in a military school and I still have basic home ec skills. You know, I, I still kind of sort of know way, my way around the kitchen coming in. But, you know, a lot of the stuff that we had, you know, in, in, in my parents' day is gone, you know, as far as education. And, 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 you know, a lot of this is kind of necessary. You know, we've got so much specialization and we've got so many things that people have to learn in order to subsist in the business world or, or in, you know, whatever, uh, you know, business that you end up getting into. You know, it's important that, that you be rounded out and have some of the basic skills and knowledge about how to survive yeah. in the world. And, and so that's what we're doing with On Common Ground is really kind of setting up a structure that allows us to put these classes in place. So if somebody wants to go and learn a little bit about meal planning, for instance, you know, we're going to have that. We're going to have some classes, uh, cooking classes for kids where we can teach them how to make a meal on Sunday with their parents and then have that all week long and be able to pull from that and be able to build little meals together. So these are types, you know, a lot of it's community building, you know, that we have – a trend in the United States and really globally where people are, are feeling isolated. Um, people are, you know, diving into their phones and not really talking to each other anymore. And, and so all of these are, are, all of these problems really kind of work on each other and they, they kind of build and compound on each other. And it creates a situation where we have kind of a sick culture. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we focus on some of the things that can, that can make that healthier and that can make people's lives a little easier, then, you know, we can reduce chaos in people's lives and, and, and allow people to focus on some of the other chaos, and you know, like housing and, uh, you know, and education and, you know, jobs and kids and all these other, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of stressors in people's lives and food shouldn't be one of them. Yeah. You know, we have the ability in this country, we're, we're one of the richest nations on earth. We have the ability to get access to nutritious food anywhere we want. The problem is if you're living in an inner city area and you, especially if you don't have transportation, you don't have the ability to necessarily go to where those places are. And so we've got to, as a community, as a society, as a country, and as a, as a planet, we've got to build the, build those logistics resources in, in places where people can get to them. Yeah. Now, it seems like it's that simple, but it, it is a complicated mechanism. No, it is. And I think that's one of the ideas of why uh, uh, you, per se, decided to want to create a podcast like this, because it's not only just like to talk about on common ground, which is obviously your guys' a nonprofit organization, but it's like the idea to talk about the fact that these things are going on and like you were saying, like bring everybody together and understand that these things are happening, but also understand that there are ways that these that these ways can be resolved. And that's why we also plan on having like guest speakers and everything like that. Um uh which would be great also if any of you guys happen to know or would like to be part of the podcast and would like to uh contribute to your guys' stories or would like to share information, please contact us. Yeah, I'd love to get some different perspectives. And, and, and what's really fascinating about this is that, you know, it doesn't even have to be about a grocery store specifically. Like, no, it doesn't. Like, when we were going through our process of building this, like we actually, we, we had a bunch of different ideas and we kind of discarded them. Like one of the ideas that we had was to uh, get a, 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 a a uh, garage, like a, a vehicle garage, and and have it be run as a nonprofit. And what you could do is is uh, you know if anybody's, um, you could make agreements with people in communities to where they could have a you know kind of a hoopty car or whatever, and you can maintain it and kind of keep it on the road, and 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 they could uh, uh, connect up with other community members and have like a shared ride situation and get out to the outskirts of the city to be able to get groceries. 
And ultimately, I mean, that's potentially a workable plan, but it's going to add more resource use into the community and it's going to create the uh, the need for people to, to drive out on there. And so you're creating CO2 emissions. And so it's really kind of not, it, it's not a fix that's fixing a problem without adding more problems. And so what we were looking for is we wanted to find a solution that didn't add to other problems in the community. And ultimately, when you look at like the location that we picked for, for our grocery store on 4th Street, you know, a block and a half away from the, the hub for the buses makes it a passive logistic solution. So people coming around, they're going to be using the bus anyway. If they're, if they're stopping off and instead of just getting on another bus, they just walk a block and a half over, get their groceries, and then get back on their bus and go home. It, it, it creates a situation where you're actually reducing the total CO2 emissions for the entire community. It creates a situation where um, you're using less resources as a society. You know, and, and, you know, the structure of what we built with the, with the, the grocery store is, is kind of, I mean, it's kind of unique, but at the same time, it's been used a lot before. So like, like, uh, up in the Amish territories, uh, Northeast United States, they had these old stores that were predominantly out in the rural territories called country stores. And what was really fascinating about those country stores is you'd walk in and you'd have these big barrels that would have, you know, your beans and rice, your spices, your staples, your flour, you know, kind of the, the basic building block stuff that people out in the country would need in order to be able to make food, you know, if you're baking or if you're whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. And people would go from, you know, wherever they're at all over the countryside to this, you know, general store location and they'd go in and they'd buy their stuff and they'd go home and then they'd make their food. Mm-hmm. Well, what if we imagine that same solution working in an inner city neighborhood? Mm-hmm. You know, so so now we've got a situation where we've got hundreds or thousands of people packed very tightly into areas where you know you're still having this problem with with access. Like, where do they go to get food? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the kind of the basis and the focus of why we went in this direction. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But um, in this episode, um, we last episode we kind of talked about um, we kind of just went more into the um, the idea of 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 getting more into like food insecurity and the idea behind it and like um, a little bit talking about like the grocery and what on common ground is and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this episode, what do you want to talk about, Shannon? I want to talk about community. I want to talk about community connections and I want to talk about how do we, how do we make those connections? How do we create a sense of community in a society that's, that's largely lost that ability? Definitely, yeah. Um, and especially with these type of things, um, it, you won't be able to get far unless you have a community. You need to be able to create a community to be able to create movement in any type of uh, uh, certain situations. Um, and this one in particular, obviously, we're talking about like food insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely, community is a is a big thing. Well, and and uh, creating a support network for people is a huge way to combat depression and suicide and all of the other issues that people deal with when they feel like they're all alone. You mm-hmm. know? So you've got a, a major situation like, um, I, again, I hate to pick on downtown Reno, but it's such a perfect uh, Petri dish of experiment. <laughs> uh, so the average age of the residents in downtown Reno is 55. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the residents down there, um, you know, they don't have anybody. You know, they don't have family. They don't have a lot of friends. You know, they're kind of by themselves. And everybody's struggling to try and make ends meet. Everybody's struggling to try and do the basics and to be able to just get through their day. And having it, having these struggles in an environment where you have nobody to lean on is, is just makes everything so much more difficult. 
So, you know, what we're trying to do, again, with our nonprofit is to, is to create something that people can use to be able to just, just kind of prop up their day and to be able to connect up with other people in the community. What beautiful thing about a grocery store, especially a neighborhood store, is you walk in there and you see a lot of the faces that you see every day. And eventually you get to know people in your neighborhood. And maybe you find out somebody that's lived down the hall in your apartment complex that you've, you know, they've been there for 10 years and you, you had no idea who they were. Then you find out you get shared connections. And then over time, you start developing this sense of community that you didn't have before. And so having that, that, that common place for people to go to, that to me is a critical importance in, in any structure and anything that you're trying to develop. Makes you feel less alone. Yeah. And, and we do feel, you know, very alone. And I'm, a, you know, I'm, an, I'm an Army veteran, so I have a lot of uh, concern for my other, you know, my fellow vets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you look at the statistics and, you know, veterans are committing suicide in record numbers right now. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that is that sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. That sense of feeling that you're not a part of your community, that you're not impacted or impacting your community. The sense that you just don't have anybody. And yeah. it's rough. Yeah, and especially in, in especially when you're in in, a, in surroundings where you're constantly seeing people walking by every day, you don't really you don't really feel like you're you're part of anything ever. Yeah, and and you don't want to you don't want to feel like the whole world is cruel. You know? Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, but in in the sense of building a community with with um, with this, um, how exactly do you feel like we can go about that? Well, we're doing it right now. Uh, we're we're reaching out to people and inviting them to volunteer through our nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're connecting up with community leaders and talking to them about what you know how how what we're doing can benefit can benefit their communities, and how we can you know work together to be able to create common good in the community. And um, I mean, it, it really doing the work and and going through the process. I mean, for me. That's been huge for building my community. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've met people that, um, you know, I probably never would have met in my former industry, you know, working in the nightclub industry, everything like that. Yeah. T- why don't you talk about that a little bit? Okay. About like you, um, you have, you have a nice story where it kind of started you uh, wanting to build that community and uh, yeah, just, just share it with us. Well, when I first moved up to Northern Nevada, I, I kind of bought into an existing community. So you had uh, uh, the LGBT community was, um, uh, involved with uh with the business that i ended up purchasing five star saloon Mm -hmm. and i moved up here to to northern nevada in 2006 from vegas and um so i had a challenge you know when i first took it when i first took over that bar i was like how do i use this business structure that i that, that i purchase and that i'm in charge of and that i own how do i use that to support an existing community that Mm -hmm. you know and i was and i was kind of looking at it and it, it in, in large part, the community was kind of fractured and there was a lot of, you know, different factions going around and everything like that. And um, we ended up figuring out uh, the, the, the best way to really be involved with the community was to uh, use the physical location as a way for uh, basically anything that, we, you know, if we, if we weren't actively doing an, an event, for instance, you know, if we had open space, we're like, okay, six o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, there's nothing going on. And uh, what we could do is uh, open it up to like Hope's Charity Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're down on on Fifth Street, and they didn't actually used to be a hospital. They used to be just a um, they, they were uh, HIV awareness and uh, a lot of uh, they, they did a lot of services for the community. Mm-hmm. And so they would have fundraisers at our bar, mm-hmm. 
And so we would invite the community down and they would use our structure to be able to basically effectuate the positive changes that they wanted to have in their community. And so having that location and having that kind of center uh, uh, central location where everybody could kind of meet and greet and gather. And of course we had, you know, the full bar and everything like that, but that allowed us to support community passively. And so that was kind of, that, that kind of grew into our central business model is using our facility and using our presence in the community to be able to, um, effectuate, uh, you know, positive changes to be able to, uh, you know, create a, uh, you know, a sense of community, mm-hmm. uh, it was really, it was a really powerful moment for me when I figured out that this little bar could be such a powerful voice and presence in the community. And one of the reasons why we ended up expanding into uh, the second location that we got, Rise Night Club, was because that allowed us to have a larger presence and a larger voice, and it allowed us to reach out to more of the community and bring everybody together around the idea of music. Actually, I have a question. Did you? Did you? Um create five star saloon like no okay no matter of fact uh, five star saloon is older than i am really yeah, it was established in 1971 it was the longest running continually operational gay bar in the state of nevada do you happen do you happen to know who was the original yeah his name is bill heggie uh he's passed away uh, but um when i first took over the bar it was a fascinating story too when i first took over the bar in, in 2006 I uh, had a, a really good sit-down discussion with this guy, and uh, he was, you know, kind of retirement age, and he was planning on moving out to California, um, but uh, he was still on the building, and um, so we had this really cool conversation, and he actually walked me through a lot of the LGBT history, because I'm not from the LGBT scene, I'm not gay, and and so I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge or understanding of, like, what I was walking into, and so he kind of explained about the Stonewall riots and about um, you know, the push for equality from the 70s all the way into current and, and, and really kind of for the struggle for the community to, uh, you know, kind of recognize itself and to have a safe place for itself. And so that conversation really kind of um, resulted in me taking ownership of my responsibility as as a proprietor of, of a center, you know, of a, of, of a bar that really focused on and catered to the LGBT community. It became my responsibility to make sure that this was a safe place. So... Are you the second owner then of that building then? Well, you mean since it was a bar? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, now that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up, so I took the bar over in 2006 and then I bought the building a year later in 2007. Oh. And and so now I've actually sold the bar in 2017 and I still own the building, but we're getting ready to, uh, to let that go and, and uh, probably... Um, Probably the owner of the bar is going to get it. But anyway, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. We got sidetracked going back to the thing about the community in Five Star Saloon. Well, what was really cool about that process, and, and, and again, I mean, this is over a decade of business ownership. You know, I learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes. Um, but I came to realize that that virtually any business model could be used to do what you want for the community, like could be used as a structure to allow you to, uh, to effectuate positive changes in the community. You know, a retail brick and mortar store location is an extremely powerful force in any community. I mean, it, it gives you a physical presence. It gives you, um, you know, a, a location, an address, someplace where people can go to. It gives you lights, uh, you know, that are on in the darkness. So like if you've got, you know, stuff going on at night, out in the street, if you've got, you know, floodlights and if you've got, you know, lights coming out of windows, a lot of times that makes people feel safer and and it makes people become safer in these areas. So Mm -hmm. the, all of these things ended up being 
something that I realized over a long period of time running my business. And I also realized that we could use these same solutions to be able to effectuate the changes uh, moving forward in, in the community. Yeah. So I know we were talking about this beforehand, how you were saying that one thing that made you want to uh, create On Common Ground was because of the fact that working at Five Star Saloon, you would encounter a lot of people who would always say that they would struggle. You encountered a lot of college students. You encountered a lot of um, people who were just of low income and they would share stories with you. And you realize that like, wow, like this is a serious issue. Yeah. It's not just customers. It was my staff. I yeah. Mean, everybody that was living in the downtown area was like, oh, you know, I, I get a burrito down the street and I'm like, well, why don't you cook a meal? It's like, oh, well, I, you know, it's hard to get out to such and such store on the outlying community to be able to get this food. <laughs> And a lot of people that I was that I was dealing with were living in the weekly motels, and they don't have kitchens. Mm-hmm. So you've got you know problem compounded by problem compounded by problem. And you know at the beginning I never really thought much of it, but then over time as you get to know people, and then you start seeing them get into advancing health issues as a result of the lifestyle that they're living. And you know it's easy to blame alcohol and it's easy to blame you know rough living and everything like that. But really when it comes down to it, like I've got. Um, you know, one, one staffer that I remember who's, uh, contracted diabetes, um, you know, just, just really has a a tough time and, and is probably, you know, you know, I I don't know how long, how much longer that person's going to be around. You know, I've got, I've got another person that passed away a couple of years ago. Same, you know, same issue. It's just ongoing living in these situations. And and over time it just, it just adds up. Yeah. So, you know, it's rough and it's tough to lose friends. Yeah. And, um, I, um, when I heard the first time that you were saying uh, how talking to these people, that's what caused you to want to create a grocery store. And then that's when you started looking more into it. And you're like, wow, like this is a thing that is an issue, but not a lot of people are are taking initiative and making a change. And then that's when you decided to create your own community and create On Common Ground. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh... You know, I mean, one of the things about, I guess, I've got a little bit of a love-hate relationship with Nevada. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I moved here. and Who and, doesn't, honestly, though? Who doesn't? Um, but, I mean, I moved here 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. And up until Reno, I had never in my life lived someplace for more than 10 years. Yeah. So, you know, growing up in New Mexico, uh, living in L.A., joining the Army, like all the different things that I'd done. I'd been, you know, I'd been kind of a nomad. So I never really had deep roots anywhere. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I've been, gosh, 14, 15 years and counting yeah. here in Reno. And I've got roots. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of people that I care about. Mm-hmm. And that opened up, um, for me at least, it opened up a different mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, once, you, once you're invested in a space and once you're, you know, connected with your community, you know, it gives you a different pr- uh, perspective that I, I don't necessarily know that I had before. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm starting to look around and I'm like, you know, I, I care. Yeah. You know, I really care about what happens to these people, even people that I don't know. Yeah. You know, I care about what happens to Reno. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to do what I can to try and make a difference. And, and it just turns out that, you know, I'm, I'm very good at uh, running a retail business. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so creating the models for it and creating a successful model that creates cash flow, that creates positive revenue. Like these are skills that I've, I've developed over, you know, X number of years. And I've also got a logistics background. You know, the, the stuff that I did in the Army was logistics. Uh, um, I actually, you know, fed troops out in the field. You know, I was in the supply for a while. I was an armorer. So we had a lot of 
kind of similar things that, that we were doing is like, how do you get X from here to there? And how do you figure out the best logistic solution to do that? Well, you know, it's, it's going to be a retail store. You know, there's not really a whole lot of other models that make that, that connection to the community and to the customers. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, that's a, an amazing concept that I feel like I believe um, not a lot of people are doing. Um, I, never, I never even knew that a nonprofit organization can make a grocery store, honestly. Uh, you know, I mean, and it makes sense that, that it can because, I, I mean, one of the things that I researched after I started digging into it was that uh, the nonprofit organization model, like the when you say nonprofit, there's a lot of different structures that you can talk about. But the, the one that we're talking about is the 501c3 model, which is um, it, it's an IRS designation that's a tax exemption status for a nonprofit organization that works for the community good. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the big, you know, the big box structure of what it is. But if you break it down and if you look at the rules for a 501c3, there's actually, I think, seven different reasons why why one can be formed. Mm-hmm. And one of those is charity. You know, so, so charity organizations, someplace that, that like gives food away or something like that, that is, uh, th- that's the most commonly understood reason for opening a nonprofit. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you start to see that there's, um, I mean, if you are reducing the burden of government, you know, you can open a nonprofit that just, you know, takes some of the burden of government away. So instead of the government having to directly control food access, for instance, you can have a grocery store that's run by a nonprofit organization, and that is going to provide the necessary food access in the community. Um, increasing uh, community infrastructure is another one. Education is another one. Like you, you have nonprofit organizations that exist solely to educate other people. Mm-hmm. You know, so any one of these different reasons is something that the federal government says, OK, yeah, this is a good reason for uh, controlling nonprofit. Here's your 501c3 status. You know, go to town, do your thing, you know, do, do, go out and do good things. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, got, it's kind of an incentivization program where the federal government says, OK, these certain structures are beneficial to the community. So we want to encourage, you know, the community to step up and kind of create these structures for themselves. Mm-hmm. And and so when we created uh, this organization, it was it was based it was in line with uh, the education, uh, increasing community infrastructure, and reducing reducing the burden of government. We never touched the charity aspect, you know, because it, it was our feeling and our understanding that there's plenty of organizations that are already doing charity mm-hmm. in the community and they're doing good work, and we don't want to step on any toes, and we certainly don't want to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking to do specifically is things that haven't been done before in the community. And, and the thing that really, by and large, hasn't been explored is, is, is looking at how to just have a, a location and have a, 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 that logistic solution that allows people to get the food that they need and to be able to purchase it. Yeah. You know, because one, th- one of the advantages of purchasing food is you get to use your SNAP money. Mm-hmm. You know, SNAP used to be food stamps. So mm-hmm. a lot of people know it as that. But the federal SNAP program is underutilized in the state of Nevada because there aren't enough locations for people to be able to go and use them. Mm-hmm. And so that's a problem. That's something that we can do something about. Yeah. So in your opinion, what do you what do you believe that that we should do then? In your opinion, how do you feel like this could be something that we like we said, we're talking about community here. So mm-hmm. how do you feel like we can come together and maybe help and fix this problem. Well, I mean, if you're talking about Reno, we're like 85% of the way there. 
We've got the location donated. It's on 4th Street, uh, 400 East 4th Street. If you ever want to go down there and check it out, talk to the folks over there that donated the space. It's been an amazing process for about three and a half years now of getting to where we're at now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got the uh, equipment donated. We've got the refrigeration system. We've got the racking and the shelving. We've got uh, the point of sale system was donated to us. So we've really been successful in reaching out to businesses and reaching out to community leaders and effectuating the changes here in the local level. But what we want to do and what we really want to focus on with the podcast is sharing this model outside of our community. Yeah, so, definitely. I mean, the recognition is there. I've talked to some folks over in Oakland. I've talked to some folks out of San Diego, out of Seattle, out of um, Pennsylvania. Like this problem that we're addressing here is not unique to our community here. Definitely not. And, and so one of the things that, that, that people are doing, I mean, people are struggling trying to figure out, like, how do we do this? You know, so... <clears throat> A lot of what we're doing is just trying to share this model and, and, and kind of reach out to people and say, hey, listen, you know, you need to look at it from a different perspective. You need to look at it from from the perspective of how do we keep the food that we're supplying to people? How do we keep it safe? How do we keep it uh, lasting a long time? How do we lower the cost of goods mm-hmm. to make it more affordable for people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing is kind of an innovative model because we're trying to address these particular issues of low-income neighborhood, uh, lack of access, lack of, uh, uh, of storage. You know, a lot of people are living with just, you know, a, a little beer fridge, if that. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a lot of refrigeration storage. Most food that comes prepackaged requires refrigeration. Mm-hmm. So you run into the situation where people that are, at, that are really struggling and have limited resources can't use a lot of the food that's available out in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, there's things that you don't think about, like teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what do you mean by that? There, there's a lot of people that are living out in low-income areas that can't afford dental care. And as a result, they've had their teeth pulled and they can't chew on a lot of hard foods. Gotcha. So when you think about, okay, so now how do we, how do we engineer situations to where we can teach people how to make the food edible? How to make it soft, how to make it taste good, how to make it, you know, something that's palatable for them so that they can add this to their repertoire, add this to the toolkit. Mm-hmm. And that's really the struggle that we're, that we're uh, dealing with. And so that's something that we've largely solved here in Reno. Uh, you know, at least on the theoretical level, we've got the store that we're opening is going to be uh, almost completely package free. It's going to be uh, about 80 to 85% shelf stable products. Um, so, you know, raw, uh, raw food products. So we're not going to be doing packaging as much as humanly possible. We're going to stay away from packaging. Mm-hmm. And that allows us to really just, just purchase our food from within a 250 mile radius. And, and it's just you know, naturally grown food, you know, so we're going to be interacting directly with farmers. We're going to be creating that, that back and forth conversation with the, with the, uh, the community that's producing this food mm-hmm. and really kind of get this back and forth. But that's the, I mean, that's, that's really the big thing is how do we spread this message? Yeah. Like, especially, um, you know, um, I, I feel like it's, uh, some people can feel a little bit discouraged to uh, whenever sometimes you have big problems. A lot of times people look at them and they feel stressed. They're like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? And at the same time, when they, once they feel so overwhelmed to a point where they feel like they just don't know what to do. And then they just kind of give up and then just push that aside. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's I feel like that's this is like one of the problems right here, too. So I feel like like. Um, one of my questions is, and I don't know if you can actually have the answer to it, but it's just more figuring out, like, you know, what exactly could the little people do, you know? People. Well, you said you grew up in a food insecure situation, right? I did. Uh, yeah, I grew up in a uh, food insecure situation. Uh, we, uh, we didn't really have much food access. Um, luckily, my mom, she was always 
and also with the whole uh, public transportation thing, that was also an issue with us too, mm -hmm. because um, we grew up without a car, so a lot of our situation was relying on on maybe other people helping us with transportation or taking the bus, um, and it was very difficult, especially with my mom having to take care of like three little kids, um, and so it was it was very hard and. Honestly, I, I honestly, like, you know, I don't even know exactly how we, we contributed or how we could possibly help because I'm kind of confused on that, too. I mean, some people may say, yeah, you can go ahead and, like, volunteer and do these things, but I feel like some people may feel like that may not be enough. At least that's sometimes how I feel. I think whatever people can contribute is enough. I mean, you can't ask people to do things that they can't do. Definitely. But, I mean, I, I, I do want you to imagine, like, if you had this resource in your community when you were growing up, how could your parents and how could your family have taken advantage of that? Yeah. You know, because a lot of situations is just having conversations in your in your group, in your community. It's like, hey, we got this thing going on and I see value in it. You know, this is why I see value in it. And if you have this conversation with people that are in the community and that are also struggling, eventually maybe we'll have 20 or 30 or 100 or 200 or 500 or 1,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 people that mm -hmm. are all getting together and saying, yeah, we want this. Yeah. And so that's where you start getting into, um, you know, putting political pressure on. That's where you start getting into, you know, reaching out to your, your local council representatives and saying, hey, you know, we've got a, a voting block of about 20,000 people here and everybody sees value in this, you know, why isn't this being supported by our community leaders? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's where we can start having conversations with larger groups of people than just, you know, me standing here going, Hey, you know, this, it would, it would really help the community if we can make this happen guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. uh, it, it's not necessarily all about individual tasks or individual effort or struggle so much as how uh, how we collectively can start having this having this conversation and having this message get pushed out that hey we need this you know we need this in our lives we need to have this logistic solution we need to have this food in a in a in a place where we can get to it and we need to have some knowledge and some understanding about how to use it as a community as a, as a you know as a society mm -hmm. and and so you know a lot of it is word by know. mouth yeah it's all word of mouth you know, a, a lot of this is word of mouth. A lot of this is understanding. And, and part of the part of the struggle that we're having is that, you know, I can sit here with you for an hour mm -hmm. and we can talk about these situations and these issues. And you could probably walk away from these meetings from with, with you know, a better understanding about how this whole thing works. And, and, and the problem is, how do I have a conversation with every single person in the community mm -hmm. one on one? It, I mean, it would take the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. So that's why we're trying to do this podcast is to be able to create this discussion and get get people, get more people on board and more people understanding, hey, this is something that's that's available for us right now. This is something that we can use right now. You know, we can effectuate this change in our community together. I'm very glad you said that. I'm actually very glad you said that because that's, it's true. It's very true. For some reason, I, I know that uh, word of mouth, that's like a huge thing. That's honestly one of the biggest things in order to be able to um, spread awareness, you know, you have to talk about these things. And you've got to, you've, you've got to kind of knock down the misapprehensions too and the, mis and the misunderstandings. You know, there, there's a, a huge, uh, I, I keep hearing over and over again that everybody thinks that we're setting up another food pantry and we're not. Yeah. We're setting up a store. Yeah. It's a place where you can buy food. It's a place where we're going to sell food. Mm -hmm. But if you're low income, we're going to be selling the food for just what it costs us to get it to you. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference is we're going to be using the whole store as a logistics resource to be able to get that, that healthy food to people in the community. Mm -hmm. 
um, I mean, it's, it's a powerful model. But yeah, we, we've got to spread the word. We've got to get more people on board with the message of, uh, that, that we can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, that we have the tools at our capability and our, at our disposal to make this happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, you know, and, and we're getting there. No, yeah. Def- do you have um, do you have an idea of when the restaurant restaurant what's do you have an idea of when the uh the store might open? Um we are aiming for spring of twenty twenty. So um you know, we've got permits into the city of Reno right now for uh uh you know, building out the space and setting it up and uh we're uh I mean the the, the space is almost ready to go really. You know, we just need to get the refrigeration uh put together. And, uh, you know, we have to run some electrical to make sure everything's got, you know, everything that needs power has power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our point of sale system was actually uh, donated to us by the largest credit card processor in the world, actually sent us a free POS system. And, oh, nice. Like, how crazy is that, yeah. right? And, uh, I mean, we, we had a, a relationship with that company from when we were running our bars and nightclubs in town. Mm-hmm. And when I reached out to my sales guy and let him know what we were doing, you know, at, at after he got his head around it, it took him a few months, but he was like, oh, I think we can help. And he actually, he, he shipped us a point of sale system, like, and, and that's multiple thousand dollar donation, Yeah, you know, right there. So, you know, we have about a quarter million dollars worth of equipment that's been donated to our nonprofit and we're working to install it into the store and get it all up and running. We're kind of in Ikea mode right <laughs> yeah. where we just got to put it all together and make it happen. And then, uh, of course, we have the, the uh, partnership with U.S. Foods. So once mm-hmm. we're ready with the shelving and we have our permits in place and we're ready to go, they're going to come down and deliver it. And, of course, we need funding for that. Uh, in order to fill the shelves, you know, we're going to have to do a final push to, uh, you know, to get support from the community and make it happen. And, and that's really the big thing that we're doing in the next six months is, is reaching out to the community and saying, hey, this is, this is being done. This is in progress. Um, you know, w- we've got the plan in place. We've got the physical structure. And, and all we need is for, for more people to really step up and say, hey, this is something that, that is important to me. And, uh, you know, easy way to get more information about this is to go to ocgreno.org. Uh, if you've got the, the, the resources to donate and to help us that way, please do. <clears throat> if you don't have the resources to donate, but if you want to volunteer, if you want to get involved, please do that. You know, we love to have community involvement, and the more people are involved with this, the, the faster that it's going to uh, come into existence. Mm-hmm. And then once we get the store up and running, it's going to largely take care of itself. You know, we're going to have uh, uh, the, the sale of the product is going to take care of the, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts and the lights and the power and the labor and everything like that. And and that's largely going to be uh, a, a, just an existing resource that the whole community is going to be able to use for a long, long time. So, and that's going to be a huge benefit for everybody in the community because, I mean, from a healthcare perspective, you know, this is preventative medicine. You know, I just, I try, I try and put it in a different people's perspectives. Like we're talking about food and we're talking about people not eating healthily because of the food access isn't there. So doing this and doing what we're doing, this is actually a preventative medicine mm-hmm. and, and food is medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of the things that people are struggling with, like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, you know, all of these major killers, a lot of it has to do with the food that we eat. And a lot of the barriers that we're dealing with is the lack of access to food. So once we figure out the logistics and, and figure out the access situation, then we can start branching out and get into education. And then we can start branching. And actually, we're, we're already doing education. Mm-hmm. We have a SNAP-Ed grant. We're in our third year right now doing classes. Awesome. So we have uh, uh, nutrition classes, cooking classes, fitness classes. Uh, we did yoga uh, last, uh, um, in September and August. Mm-hmm. We were doing yoga over at Hope's Charity Hospitals. A pretty amazing program. Yeah. I, I think that... I think like the whole idea of this is just the idea of, of you know, 
in order to be able to create these things, it's all about creating a sense of community and also being able to talk about it and spread it around because the more people that people know about this situation and they hear about, oh, a nonprofit a grocery store or anything and related to that, you know, people would be like, that's something that I would like to help out with, you know? It's all about spreading awareness and spreading about what's going on. Yeah, and we're coming into the holidays right now. So, you know, if, if you've got some plans for Christmas and you're going to be, you know, spending a few hundred bucks on uh, gro- on, uh, on on presents for your friends and family, uh, you know, maybe slide a, a couple of donations over to ocgreno.org and, uh, you know, help out your community, you know, give a present of of life and health to the entire community. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, I think we probably might end the end the episode right, right there. All right, let's start getting some guests in here. I think that's going to be pretty awesome. We've got yeah. a few people we're going to reach out to, and uh, you know, let's keep having this conversation and uh, put it out in the long form. And I'd love to be able to um, maybe even get a telephone number that people can call in at some point or something like that. Ooh. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is gonna this is gonna grow and it's gonna develop as we keep playing with it. Definitely. So uh, if you've been listening through all this, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.